0: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous moment, the medical business is always looking for ways to rip you off. I want to share with you what's going on with prescription drugs in today's Clark Rage and coming up later. If you're shopping for a new or used vehicle, there are some things you should try to look for on that vehicle, which can have a big effect on your danger on the road, your danger behind the wheel. I want to talk about some actually really great stuff going on with vehicles for sale, particularly a lot of newer of the used cars and many new cars as well. So I want to talk about something that is coming up on our show with increasing frequency. And it is a problem that is one that the solutions are not quite fully there yet. But let me first set what the problem is. So now, in order to deal with people trying to steal money by doing charges on your credit card or taking over your bank account or stealing money out of a brokerage account or mutual fund account or retirement account, more and more institutions are requiring what's known as two-factor authentication. It's something that for years I've recommended to you when it becomes available to you, you set it up. Well, most places have gone to a simple system as an additional step to verify who you are, and that is they send you a one-time use code to your cell phone that you register with whoever it is, your bank or whoever. So with that one-time use code, then suddenly you have access to all the functions of your bank account, brokerage account, whatever. So what criminals are doing now to defeat that security step is they are hijacking your cell phone service in what's known as a SIM swap or SIM theft. So they will uh, walk into a cell phone store with a fake ID with their picture but your name on it, and they will say that their cell phone was stolen or whatever story they tell, and they walk out with a SIM card for Your number. And once they've done that, if they already have figured out through hacking how to get into your account, which is unfortunately easier than you might think, then what they do is the one time use code goes to them, not to you, because remember, they hijacked your service. You may go to use your phone and you think, oh, The network's down right now, or whatever, and in minutes, they have initiated a wire transfer or some kind of transaction to steal money out of your account. And this is a fast-growing fraud, a fast-growing crime. Now, the four major cell phone carriers have all started initiatives where you can add a secret code to your account, so that if somebody walked in, with a fake ID, pretending to be you, they in theory aren't going to know that secret code and it would prevent them from being able to steal the cell phone service. And because this is such a fast growing crime, we are going to, first I want you to go ahead and set up that code with your cell phone carrier. Don't make it a code you use everywhere else. And second, we're going to check with all four major carriers to see if there are any other additional steps you can take or exactly how with each of them you would set up to have this secret code that would prevent somebody from SIM hijacking, SIM stealing, SIM swapping. All the terms are used when talking about this just so you know how to protect yourself from this. And really, the method of two-factor authentication using a single-use code that's texted to you is a way station to better methods of verifying identity, but it's the way station we've got right now, and criminals have found the vulnerability in it, and they're going to try to steal. The other way they do it is even more interesting And that is they port your number out from your existing cell phone carrier to another carrier. That becomes even more complicated and that's the second part that we're going to find out from the cell phone carriers. How do you deal with that and get your own service restored with the carrier you're with? Because you and I should not be in a situation where our lives are disrupted so much and somebody is trying to run off with our money. Phil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi,
1: Phil. Hi, Clark. My family is taking our first-ever trip to the Grand Canyon this uh, coming Thanksgiving. We live in Orlando, so it's uh, quite a trek out there. And I've been watching airfares. Uh, we're planning on going there Starting the Friday before um, Thanksgiving through the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And the big question I have is, when should I really be looking at buying the airfares?
0: Okay, so first of all, I would like it if you could shift your trip to the... You said you're going to go on Sunday to Sunday, is that what you said? Or Saturday to Sunday?
1: Uh, Saturday to Sunday.
0: So if you did Saturday to Saturday, you may see a lot lower fares. and You're going okay. to fly into Phoenix? Are you thinking that would
1: be a plan. I've also been eyeing uh, Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, so I think that's smart for you to compare both of them. But the Sunday after Thanksgiving is one of the four busiest travel days of the year. So if you okay. can rotate out of that day thanksgiving this year is the 28th right so, I think so yeah so i'm looking right now i just pulled up a quick search on google flights and going where you return on that saturday should save you quite a bit of money versus sunday but you're also um a little early to book that trip now because we haven't had any meaningful fall sales yet there was one recently that cut off just before your travel dates but it would be to your advantage to wait a little bit and pull up have you have you seen how on google flights you can set up a fare alert that's sent to you anytime the fares drop
1: yeah i've been watching those
0: all right set that up but give up on that sunday after thanksgiving okay Because going on, that would be the 1st of December, I guess. Coming back on the 1st of December, you'd really have to hate your wallet.
1: How far out should I really be looking? Uh, Six weeks? uh, No longer. I would say
0: uh, about the third week of August.
1: Third week of August.
0: Yeah, that's when you should see the airlines. It could come a little earlier than that, but you should see fare sales that will cover the period of time, up to December 15th. And there are only certain days that are a zillion dollars around Thanksgiving. And imagine this, okay. in most years, the four busiest travel days of the 365 are four days around Thanksgiving, the Tuesday and Wednesday before and the Sunday and Monday after. So avoiding, wow. okay. in this case, you're picking One of those four days that creates misery for your money, and so you got to make sure you get out of that. And so if you had any ability to go, let's say, a day earlier and come back a little earlier, I bet you'd get a lot cheaper fare. Just anything that gets you away from those peak, peak days would work. And be flexible about looking at both Vegas and Phoenix, as we talked about, because is you can expand the number of airports and expand your calendar, that's what will get you a better price. Aaron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Aaron. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you, Aaron. You are a rare individual. <laughs>
2: yeah, we try to we try to save as much as we can, um, and you know, prepping for the future.
0: So you um, you max out. Your uh, retirement plan at work, 100%. So you're putting in, what is it, $19,000 a year? Is that what the limit is now?
2: Yes, sir. That's correct. Uh, 19000 for a 401k. Wow. And uh, my wife, uh, she invests into a pension plan, which I don't think, I don't really don't know if there's a max on it, but uh, we also uh, invest into a Roth, which we've had maxed out each of us.
0: My goodness. So uh, you're going to be in really incredible financial shape when you decide to bag work. That's great.
2: Well, you know, we can't do it every year, but we try to do it what years we can.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm just really excited for you that you're able to put so much money aside.
2: So my question is, um, if uh, for for a year, uh, again, we like to try to put back as much as we can, and we also so right now we're caught up for 2019 uh and we'd like to go ahead and you know move forward and saving up for 2020 we can't invest anymore into our Roth for next year but i would like to you know save up now to invest in 2020. um my question is, is can i put that money into like an index fund or something you know maybe in the low to no cost providers there i wouldn't and, do that
0: uh, if the idea you're parking the money so you can put it into your Roth come January. Is that really the idea?
2: Well, I would probably pace it out. My my thought process behind it is is to kind of put some money back. All this, uh, the money that I would put here would all be eventually for long term savings, anyways. It wouldn't, you know, nothing within the next ten years or anything. So my idea is I can park it there. Um, if the market's down or market's up or whatever, it would ideally be similar. Effect to just basically transferring it from uh, that from that index to the Roth.
0: All right, no one has ever proposed anything like you're proposing to me ever. The idea is that you would go into funds pretty much equivalent risk is what you would then put the money in next year into your Roth IRA. So you'd pick up some time investing this year, figuring time in the market's valuable i for it uh, i get the i get the idea and it's very interesting and again nobody's ever mentioned that to me as a possibility i think you keep it simpler the money that you're parking that's then going to be invested should just uh-huh. for these months go into a simple savings account with one of the online banks you're not going to earn anything okay. dramatic you're going to earn a couple of percent on your money but you're also not going to have to worry about downside risk in the short term, or tax issues because if you if the index funds do well, you won't have qualified for long-term capital gains. So you'll be subject to higher ordinary income tax. So for that reason, I think the beauty is that you're living on substantially less than what you make. You're getting money together so that you can use it in the near future to invest and tax-qualified retirement accounts, including Roths that are tax-free and what you have in them. So just open an online account. You'll you'll earn that max about 2.5%. You don't have to break a sweat to earn 2%. Just put the money there, and then when the clock turns to 2020, you just turn right around and start putting the money right into your Roths. So I, I think that's... Um, an interesting concept you have, but I don't think it's worth it to have money put away just for months in what would really be a temporary holding pen. Today's Clark-rageous moment is something that is so frustrating to me. You know, I'm a big believer that what makes capitalism work is what's known as transparency, where you know what something's going to cost you, you have the ability to comparison shop and I've long believed that one of the real failures of the medical industry in the United States is that everybody is hostile to what's known as price transparency, where you know before you seek a service what it's going to cost you. And there are a lot of people who believe if we're going to get down our healthcare care costs in the country, which is what we've got to be about, spending more than double um, our national wealth of any other country any other developed country, that we've got to get to where you and I as consumers can make informed decisions as to the cost. It's always hard for anything we purchase to be able to tell the quality difference, but cost we should be able to do. Well, there's a, a new rule that's been proposed that would force drug manufacturers when they run those ultra-upbeat, commercials on TV showing everybody smiling and having the greatest life ever, and all they need to do is take that drug, and it's going to solve whatever condition they have, that they have to tell you what that drug costs within the commercial. Pretty simple thing. Well, several drug makers have now filed suit to try to block them having to tell you the cost. I mean, that's reprehensible. What the drug manufacturers and their cynical selves don't realize is there's a lot of people in the country who want to do price controls or price fixing, you know, where the, where instead of the market setting prices, the government would control the price of drugs. And it's very popular in polling. But my belief is you'd end up eliminating most innovation in the breakthroughs in medicine that we have now if we did have tight price controls. All I want is for you to have the information, and the drug makers don't even want you to have that to be able to decide whether a drug, no matter how happy the people are in the commercial, is one you can afford. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com. That's where you go to get all the latest bargains as we shop for deals for you around the clock. So I have an unusual privilege in that, I guess it's a privilege, I travel a lot for work and then I get to take some wonderful vacations. And so I'm in rental cars frequently, probably rent about 30 cars a year in a typical year. So I get to try all different makes and models, and I'm never paying for luxury rentals. I'm in just regular cars or regular SUVs. And what I've noticed is how many of them now have a variety of advanced safety features. None of them seem to have them all, but a lot of them have different ones to the point now I can change advice that I've given for the last probably 10 years, I need to modify because I used to talk about the advantage when you buy a new vehicle of looking at the various safety features that will help you prevent an accident. I mean, think about it. We've gone from the era of trying to reduce injuries and fatalities when you're in an accident. That's what the airbags and other things in the vehicle are about. But we started moving really in any meaningful way earlier this decade to doing something else, and that's preventing the accident from happening. And so something that originally was in early forms, almost like beta, in rich people cars and fancy luxury cars now I'm seeing when I rent vehicles, they're on most vehicles that I rent, at least some of these features, one that is very frequently available is automatic emergency braking. So how about, what a difference does that make when you're looking at a used vehicle? Most people buy used vehicles. You know, that accounts for the overwhelming majority of vehicles purchased. And now there are a lot out there that have it. That one feature reduces the possibility of a rear end collision. You're looking down for a second, you're running the back of somebody, reduces those by fifty percent, five, zero percent. Doesn't take it to zero of those accidents, but a fifty percent reduction is a great reduction because so many people are injured and killed in uh, rear-engine crashes, a rear, rear collision where you go, bam, into the back of somebody. So the most recent year, there are numbers, there were roughly 2 million of those crashes in the year in the United States. So if you cut that 2 million to 1 million, massive Savings and property damage, but I don't care about that really. It's about the human factor, the injuries and deaths. That's just one example of the things that are in the vehicles, the lane departure warnings that are very common on used vehicles now. On new vehicles, more and more brands have the thing that will steer for you on the freeway. A technology that was pioneered originally five years ago by Tesla is now on more and more manufacturers' vehicles where it will keep you automatically safe in the lane. Adaptive cruise control, an enormous safety feature, where with adaptive cruise control it automatically adjusts and keeps you a safe distance as you're driving from the vehicle in front of you. Because vehicles don't go even speeds. And so with adaptive cruise control, again, frequently available on used vehicles is a wonderful safety feature. And when you're changing lanes, you know the blind spot thing? Several brands have the thing that when you turn on your blinker, it will flash a a view on the dash of traffic in your blind spot, and then you'll know whether it's really okay to go. Other vehicles have a less sophisticated thing that will do a a beep or a buzzer, something that was first offered, I think about 10 years ago by Mercedes, and so when you hit the turn signal and you start to go over another lane, the vehicle knows whether there's another vehicle in that lane that you're maybe not seeing, and it will buzz at you to not go over into that lane. All these things are well short of fully autonomous driving, but they're available today, and they're almost like a throw-in on any used vehicle you buy that has these systems. If you like to buy new vehicles, sometimes automakers will require that you buy a particular quote-unquote package in order to get all the safety features Cheap guy will tell you it's it's hard for me to get these words out. It's worth it. It is worth it to spend the money to get the safety features because of the accidents that don't happen and the property damage and personal injuries that don't occur by having these safety devices. Jacqueline joins us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Jacqueline. how are you great thank you Jacqueline you are going to be a nurse what kind
3: well I am already a nurse but I'm in school to get my doctorate in nurse practitioner
0: you are a brilliant person thank you because the need for you as a DNP is gigantic and thank
3: you very much
0: and do you intend to practice in a state where you're allowed to practice with full autonomy as a DNP or in the state you intend to Um, practice do you still have to be under the umbrella of a doctor's practice?
3: Yes so the state I live in it is still restricted so I think we're one of the last 13 or so states to go to unrestricted for nurse practitioners so which we've got to do because day.
0: you know it's just feather yes. bedding for doctors and harms right. the health of the american people when after you go through all that enormous education to become a dmp you're not allowed to go out and just practice
3: i agree thank you
0: so thank you for making that commitment because the shortage of primary care doctors in the united states is so intense and DNPs are one of the key ingredients that's going to deal with that and provide primary care, which is so needed for yes. so many hundreds of millions of Americans who, I don't even know how many, there are 300 and what, 340 million of us, something like that, and it's more than 100 million who don't have a regular primary care doctor.
3: Correct. Thank you. Thank you for that very much. Sure.
0: And so next time I see a doctor, you know I'm going to get noise about that if they've heard me talk about it.
3: (laughs) We appreciate you having our back, though.
0: Okay. Well, how can I be of service to you?
3: Well, um, my question for you, I'm 32. My husband is 38. And right now I am full-time in that doctorate program. And so I'm working part-time as a nurse. Um, Our goal right now, we will have our house paid off next year this time.
0: That's fantastic. Um,
3: Thank you very much. We've worked hard. Uh, My car is paid off and our credit card is paid off every month. So the only thing left would be his truck and then we would be debt free. We don't have any children. We both have 11% put into our 403Bs at work. And hopefully once our house is paid off, we can increase that.
1: So,
0: well, I wanna Before now, you go on, I want to um, say something about that. A lot of 403B plans are really junky with extremely mm-hmm. high fees. So rather than increasing your contributions to 403Bs, I'd like for you each to set up your own Roth IRA that you can do with okay. a low-cost provider and just stash... Money beyond what you're doing right now into the Roth IRA till you max it.
3: Okay. My dad is a huge fan of you and he is pushing us for Roth right now. So
0: I'm glad. (laughs)
3: Um, Okay. So I have, when I come out of school, I will come out debt free. I have the money for it. Wow. Um, I have just applied for. It's, it's called a Forgivable Education Loans for Service, a FELLS. So basically, they will pay for my schooling. Um, if they pay for two years of my schooling, then when I graduate, I technically pay them back by working within my state for two years.
0: And so you can work anywhere in your state, not at some pre-designated salary Correct. that would be less than you could make at market? Correct, yes. Wow. So that speaks so, again to what I said up front, how much you're needed.
3: Right, right, exactly. Um, so my um, my dad and I have two different opinions, which is why we're calling you. <laughs> but um, I thought I would take this opportunity and then use the money that I have been using for schooling and put it into a Roth. Or into savings of some sort. Um, But my dad is fearful that, you know, something is not going to work out with this.
0: All right. So Um, let me understand do you have have to borrow money. money? Do you have to borrow money for the state to reimburse you, or are you allowed to just pay tuition and they will reimburse you what you paid for tuition in return for giving the two year commitment?
3: It. Um, it goes between this program and the school. I don't ever see the money, so they do the transaction. So I wouldn't have to pay out of my pocket first and then be reimbursed. They would pay for my schooling directly with the school.
0: And what would be the problem with doing this? Because it sounds like a, like the closest you could have to a free
2: lunch.
3: Right. That's, that's how I'm thinking. Um, and in the other sense, though, I already have the money for school, so what if I come out and uh, if I am not able to pay it back, I through working, I would have to pay back with 8% interest.
0: I think that's um, okay. Because okay. what are the odds that you won't be working in the state working?
3: Right. I plan on it. I plan on staying. In so the state you can't, there.
0: nobody can predict anything with life with absolute certainty. But the advantage is so strong of getting two years paid for in return for two years work. I would take the chance and say that that's worth it versus the 8% financial penalty you might suffer otherwise. So which side is your dad on? Am I on your side or your dad's side of this?
3: (laughs) You're on my side, I think.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think that that just makes sense. I I know that nothing is 100% certain but you know the field you're studying, you know the degree you're going to get, you know your intention is to work in the state that would be giving you this this essentially a two-year grant, I would take the grant and it's worth it to take the risk that the job thing doesn't work out like you intended and you pay them back the cost plus 8%. I think that's a good gamble. I don't even think it's a gamble. I wanted to mention to you that if you ever have a chance to listen to our podcast other than listening to us on radio that we're having an investment special this weekend special edition extra podcast on how to plan for retirement and we're doing this because we get so many more questions than we ever got from people now that people don't have pensions and all that and you're responsible for doing your own savings for retirement so we put together a long series of calls from people with various questions about saving for retirement strategies to do so to give you a better sense about how you're going to do that for yourself. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi Jason. Hi Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you. You're buying your first home. Congratulations.
4: Thank you. We're pretty, pretty excited about it. It's been a long time coming, but we're we're about there now. So
0: great. How can I serve you with that?
4: So my question is uh, because we we've kind of taken a long time and saved up along the way we're in a position where we can put down twenty percent comfortably fantastic enough-
0: that is so great I never ever hear that from a first time home buyer
4: <laughs> yeah we're, that was one of our goals and that's what probably took us longer than it might have otherwise but uh, we've we actually went a little further we, we didn't find a home right away that we wanted but we've saved up enough now that we could potentially put down. Forty percent. So we're trying to decide, is it worth it to put down that extra 20% or is it is that money better served somewhere else?
0: Well, okay, I'm going to give a complicated strategy for that. Okay. And that is if you put down 40% instead of 20, you could then likely take out a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30. You've worked so okay. hard to save money, you would have a massive long-term benefit from taking out a 15-year loan instead of a 30. Right now, the spread in interest rates from 30-year loans to 15-year is unusually wide. So you get a great deal going with a 15-year loan instead of a 30. And you build equity so quickly, you're obviously a disciplined saver. So if if you put down 40%, your payment, might even be equivalent or less on a 15-year versus taking out a 30 with 20% down. And you're going to own so much of that house so quickly, starting at 40% of the house you buy, it will escalate quite rapidly. And how old are you, Jason?
4: So I'm 33 and my wife is 30, and we've got two, two young kids, four and one.
0: So think about it. In your 40s, you would own the house free and clear. Right, okay. And uh, because I can tell you live a life where you live on less than what you make, I'm not worried about you also putting money aside for retirement.
4: Yeah, we're doing that. We've got 401Ks and my my wife has a a Roth IRA.
0: I'm very impressed. So you're you're set, and I would just put down that monster down payment, take out that shorter-term loan, get that ultra-cheap interest rate, which... Likely will be somewhere 3%, a little less, a little more. It's going to be a great rate uh, in the interest rates we have right now. And it puts you in a whole different position than if you took out a 30-year loan. 10 years in, you still owe most of what you would have borrowed. 10 years in on a 15-year loan, you've paid off much of what you borrowed, and you start off already owning 40% of the home. That's